just in case. I'm going I'm to try this a little bit longer, Brian, and, and um, if it kind of goes in and out, then I'll, I'll uh, switch to the handheld. Uh, is that okay, Brian, or do you want me to go straight? Hey, what, what do you want me to do? Okay, all right, so we're going we're to try that. Praise the Lord. All right, um, I defer. Brian Hill is one of our sound men of God up there. Uh, um, and uh, so I, I defer to those guys uh, for that, uh, that sort of thing. All right, Holly. And I love Christian said, you know, every day is a good day uh, to come to Jesus, but, or a perfect day to come to Jesus. Today is extra perfect. Yeah, I don't think it gets any better than extra perfect. So, uh, uh, so that, that's fantastic. Hallelujah. Well, happy Resurrection Day to you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, 1984, the movie Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger became a cultural icon by looking menacingly at an officer in a police station and reciting the line, I'll be back. The officer didn't take those early seriously until several minutes later when Schwarzenegger's character crashed a car into the police station and then proceeded to wipe out everybody who was there. From General MacArthur's famous pledge to return to the Philippines to Schwarzenegger's famous line in the movie to the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times someone's left and promised to return. Pledges to come back after leaving are a dime a dozen. Some are kept, some are not. But the most consequential such pledge in history just also happened to be the least probable. Jesus' promise to his disciples that on the third day after he was killed, he would be raised again to life. <coughs> the truth is, as far as I can tell, his disciples didn't really expect him to be killed. So don't think they gave much thought at all to that whole being raised to life again thing until to their great shock and dismay. They watched as he was arrested, beaten, and publicly executed. His body was then hastily placed in a borrowed tomb and left there until the Sabbath had passed, after which time a small group of faithful women planned to go and dress the body more appropriately for its final resting. That's where we'll pick up the story this morning. Would you stand with me, please, as you're able, in honor of the Word of God, and listen as I read for us our gospel lesson for this week from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Bible says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to 
all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, I need to take just a moment and encourage you, whenever you read the biblical accounts of these events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus, I need to urge you not to be too quick to criticize the people you find in the accounts. Because the truth is, it would be easy to be tempted to judge them and their initial reactions. But I remind you, after all, that the truth of the matter is they were an awful lot like you and me. Just like you and me, they were limited in their understanding, easily overwhelmed by their circumstances, often misled by their own emotions, prone to trust their own conclusions more than the things the Lord had told them, and more apt to believe their own eyes than to believe Jesus. So recognizing that they were, in fact, an awful lot like you and me, I want us to take a few minutes and look at them a bit more closely this morning. And when you do that, one of the very first things you notice, one of the very first observations is that following the crucifixion of Jesus, they were shocked and confused and at a loss. Things had turned so very ugly so very quickly, they simply were not prepared for it. As two disciples on the road to Emmaus explained, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to notice the past perfect tense in that last sentence. We had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped, but now we don't. We had hoped, but we do so no more. Jesus had died of that they were certain, and so very many other things in their hearts had died with him. And now that he was dead, they weren't at all sure what to do. The ladies we just read about were on their way to dress and anoint the body of Jesus according to the typical burial customs of the Jews at that particular time. But the point is they were going to a tomb looking for a corpse. The next verses, verses 2 and 3 of Luke 24 say, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It says they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus because that's what they were looking for. They were looking for a dead body. They were not looking for their resurrected Lord. They were looking for their deceased rabbi. They went to the tomb in grief and sorrow and mourning without an ounce of hope or faith or expectation. Let me just stop here for a second and say, I get it. It's Easter. And very, very likely, some of you here or some of you with us virtually, very possibly some of you here because... It's Easter. Maybe your mom strong-armed you into coming. Or maybe you thought, yeah, it's just a thing to do. But the truth is, you came without an ounce of hope or faith or expectation. 
That's exactly how those ladies went to the tomb the very first Easter Sunday morning. But God is a God of surprises. He surprised them, and I want to tell you with all my heart, I believe if you'll let him, he'll surprise you today. Whether or not you came with hope or faith or expectation, the God who made you loved you, loves you, and he wants you to receive his love and his goodness. He wants to change you, to forgive you, to make you new on the inside. He wants you to receive his love and goodness and become a conduit of that loving goodness to the world around you. He wants to bring you into the life you were actually created to live. And I believe if you'll let him this morning, you'll be surprised by what he does. At any rate, the ladies went there looking for a corpse, hoping to anoint it. After they anointed the body, they had no real plan for after that. They had no idea what to do next. No idea what even to think next. And the truth is, the guys were even worse off than they were. At least, yeah, hallelujah. <clears throat> At least the ladies had an immediate plan to do something. The guys, on the other hand, had squirreled themselves away. Actually, they barricaded themselves in a locked room. Confused, grief-stricken, filled with fear. They had seen the crucifixion with their own eyes, and now they could not unsee it. They had no idea what to do. But if you look at the story, as you look at the story, if your first observation is that following the crucifixion of Jesus, they were shocked and confused and at a loss. The second observation has to be that following the resurrection of Jesus, they were still shocked and confused and at a loss, just in a new way. So often today, Christians think back to that first Easter Sunday and they imagine it was a day of bliss-filled exhilaration. That's not at all the picture painted in the Bible. There was definitely joy and exhilaration, but there was an extraordinary amount of other emotions there as well. Let's start with the discovery of the empty tomb. Here in Luke's gospel, we're told rather understatedly, that when the ladies found the tomb was empty, their immediate response was to wonder what was going on. Verses 2 and 3 says, While they were wondering about this, Luke, Luke writes, Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And if you don't think that was unsettling while standing in a graveyard, <laughs> you've not thought about the text. Matthew relates this story, and he says that when the ladies left that encounter, they left afraid, yet filled with joy. And fascinatingly, the Greek word here translated as afraid actually carries the connotation that they were fleeing in fear, which makes a lot of sense because Mark describes it this way, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Greek Mark's text here says they fled, having been seized by trembling and bewilderment. According to the Apostle John, when they first got there to the disciples, they told them initially not that Jesus had risen from the dead, but, quote, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. According to Luke, once they told the rest of the story about the angels and whatnot, 
Once they told the full story to the guys, they did not believe them because their words seemed to them like nonsense. When Peter, and we know John, ran to check it out, Luke says they found the tomb empty, Jesus' burial claws lying there alone. But then it says of Peter, he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He didn't go away rejoicing in the resurrection. He went away confused, not elated. Shortly after that, when Mary Magdalene actually encountered the risen living Lord Jesus, she ran and told the disciples what she had seen. And Mark reports, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe it. Later still, when Jesus appeared to two men walking in the country, Mark records, these returned and reported it to the rest. But they did not believe them either. In fact, Mark goes on to write that when Jesus later appeared to the leaven while they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Matthew reports that on an even later occasion when Jesus was meeting with his disciples on a mountain in Galilee, says when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. It's good to read the gospel accounts. As N.T. Wright noted in his book, Simply Christian, even once they were completely convinced, thoroughly convinced that Jesus was back, had risen from the dead, they still didn't know what to do next. Frankly, they didn't have any idea what God was going to do next. At one point, according to John 21, they went back to fishing. And a, a different point, in, in Acts chapter 1, they asked Jesus, are you now going to be that conquering political military hero that ancient Israel always expected? The bottom line is they simply did not have a clue how to respond to the resurrection of Jesus. Worship Him, they got that part right. But how to follow Him and what to follow Him into, how to function as disciples of a Master who had been permanently raised from the dead, who had passed forever from life to death to life eternal, who had personally experienced the resurrection of the body that was not supposed to come till the end of the age, the restoration of all things in a new heaven and a new earth. What to do with a guy like that after an event like that and then how somehow to fit it into an, a, a biblical understanding of their own time and a biblical understanding of the times still to come. They didn't have a clue what to do with the resurrection of Jesus. And I want that to sink into your mind and your heart this morning for at least two reasons. First, because I really, really, really want you to understand that when it comes to serving God and when it comes to following Jesus, it's normal to have times like that. Please understand this. Do not labor under some false religious apprehension that you've got to have it all together all the time. Times like this are normal when you walk with God. 
I want you to really serve God. I want you to really walk with Jesus. And I want you to do that in the real world, real life way it was meant to happen. I want you to follow Jesus excitedly, even though sometimes you don't have a clue what comes next. I want you to follow Jesus all in, even though sometimes you're not sure what you're in. In other words, I want you to give yourself fully to Jesus, knowing up front you don't have all the answers. And I want you to do that in the full assurance that it's okay not to have all the answers. That it's actually normal not to be sure what to do next. And the second reason I want you to to, to really understand this morning that the disciples were confused by the resurrection of Jesus is because so many Christians today, nearly 2,000 years later, some 1,989 Easter's after the first Easter, so many Christians still today don't know how to respond to the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not sure if you understand this or not. But what Jesus did on that first Easter Sunday was so very much more than just return from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus opened the door and ushered in the beginning of the promise of eternity. Listen to me. Both before and after Jesus, people returned from the dead. In the Old Testament, both Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead. In the New Testament book of Acts, there's an account of Uh, Tabitha being raised from the dead by the Apostle Peter, and a guy named Eutychus being raised from the dead by the Apostle Paul. Even today, from time to time, you'll hear a story from somewhere around the world about someone being raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospels, there are three times, three accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead. Probably the most significant of those being Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus so significant. So many people began to follow Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead that the Bible says at one point the Jews made a plan to kill not only Jesus but Lazarus too. But have you noticed? No one ever gave those folks anything like the attention and the reverence given to Jesus. No one proposed worshiping Lazarus. No one suggested Tabitha was the Savior of the world. And the reason is the resurrection of Jesus was nothing at all like those others. Those other raisings were essentially resuscitations. Incidents where the Spirit returned to the original untransformed body. The person rose up and lived again for a while until they eventually died again. But the resurrection of Jesus was completely different. Jesus did not just rise from the dead. He ushered in a brand new age. His was the very first instance ever, and so far the only one, of the promised resurrection of the righteous to new glorified bodies never ever to die again. A body that could be touched and held, and that could eat food, that could be recognized as the body that had come before, and yet that was somehow gloriously different. 
where the mortal had put on immortality, the corruptible had put on incorruption. It was a body no longer bound by the normal laws of time and space. It could appear and disappear in a locked room or on a country road. It was a body that could appear in a different form, the Bible says, so that even those who knew it well might not immediately recognize it. Listen, on the very first Easter, Jesus did not just come back to life. He turned the page on God's prophetic end-time calendar. Listen, at Easter we celebrate so much more than the mere return of Jesus from death. At Easter we celebrate the entrance into this world of life in all its fullness, life beyond mere biology. At Easter, that promised life made its way into our reality as a foretaste and a promise of our own eventual experience of it if we are found in Christ on the day that He returns. Life, the life God promised to the righteous, to those who live for Him, life with God, life in God for the glory of God. And while death remains for the moment an unpleasant reality in this fallen world, Jesus at Easter inserted the key, turned the lock, and cracked open the door to the coming kingdom of God. Where one day soon, at His return, death itself will die, having been cast forever into the lake of fire. That raises one last enormous question. What do we do now in the meantime? And the answer is you live right now as the resurrection people of God. You live today in the hope and the power of the resurrection of Jesus, anticipating the coming power and hope of your own resurrection as well. You live today as people who have been changed already by the power of God, by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. People who have been given already new life by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fullness of new life still to come. You live like people who are different now and who one day soon will be so different you can't even imagine what that's going to be like. In short, the past resurrection of Jesus and the promise of your own future resurrection in Him means you live right now between the two as the holy, transformed people of God, as Christ's ambassadors to this world, left here for the time being to declare and to demonstrate the goodness of God, loving and blessing those around you, telling the glorious story of Jesus in the hopes that some more will join you in the coming promise of the resurrection. Christ has died, Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And the Bible says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The Bible also says, in the meantime, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. May God bless you richly as you live every day of your life in Him. 
in the power and hope of the resurrection of Jesus, the power and hope of the expectation of your future resurrection with Him. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank You for the power and the clarity of Your Word, Your Word that instructs us, that shows us who You are and what You're like and what You want and what You're about and that calls us into life with You by grace through faith in Jesus. Lord, stir in us, even afresh today, an excitement about the reality of what you have done through your son, Jesus. We're so delighted that he's back from the dead, but he has done so much more than merely return from the dead. He has changed everything. He has advanced your prophetic timetable and moved us that much closer to the promised hope of eternity in you. Make us today your resurrection people and grant us the faith to walk in resurrection hope and power, making a difference in this world for your glory and for the benefit of many. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.